0: Welcome to Conversations for the Animals, Houston Pet Sets podcast. I am Lisa Tynan, and I am joined today by the magnificent Angelita Sampaio. And we're going to talk about Emancipet today, which is one of Houston Pet Sets, like, capital P partners. We work together really closely for the Houston community. So I'm excited to talk about what Emancipet is, what it does, why it is so important. But also, we want to get to know you a little bit. We're going to start off by introducing the I, i'm gonna preface this with we had a conversation not that long ago where you told me about your like life history and employment yes, history and it is so varied and so interesting that that's where i want to start because okay. you have done a ton of really seemingly random stuff that has led you magically into the veterinary world which yes. i find very interesting
1: It's quite an interesting background, as you you were saying. (laughs) Um, So you and I were chatting a while back, and um, I mean, the story is so long, but we lived abroad when I was younger, and my father was a biologist, and so we moved to Chile to South America when I was about nine years old, and um, it was an amazing year because I went to international school, I learned Spanish, I became fluent in Spanish because I wasn't fluent to that point, you know? And um, it was just an incredible year. You know, I think that as a child, you are able to absorb so much. Yeah. I mean, I think that as an adult to learn another language is very difficult as a child. (laughs) You're just playing out there with your friends, and yeah. you're picking it up. So it was an amazing year. Um, we traveled quite a bit to like Bolivia and Argentina and a few other places, and then we returned back to. Um, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. We me can okay. start with that. Sorry. Yeah. So then um, returned to New Mexico, and I just had this new passion for travel and for just other cultures as a young child. And so when I um, was in high school, I did a summer abroad with Amigos de las Américas. They're another nonprofit based out of Houston, and their national offices here, and um, I. I did a summer bot in Paraguay. And what it was, was we basically worked with um, in different um, community health service projects. Mine was immunizations program. Okay. So you learn how to give immunizations as a sophomore in high school. What? You practice on oranges because it's kind of similar to like, you know, kind of the or someone's arm. <laughs> I guess. So they train you up throughout the year. You fundraise. And then you go and live with the family. And it's a family who lives in the community that you're serving. And so my host mother was a nurse at the um, clinic that I worked at. And so we worked at the clinic. Then we went also into different communities and gave immunizations. But it wasn't just a one-stop shop type thing. We did a lot about um, educational conversation on, like, hygiene and HIV prevention and awareness. So we were able to do so much in that community. And that was my first time kind of going away from my family, doing my own thing abroad. And so then fast forward into high school, I ended up graduating a semester early from my senior year to live in Brazil. And that was an incredible, incredible time. So that was kind of where it kicked off for me as an adult. Um, And so I did an exchange program in high school in Brazil. I went and had my undergrad at um, University of New Mexico. Went back to Brazil again. I also lived in um, Costa Rica. And so that's just my, my passion and love for languages. Um, I became trilingual at that point you too, of course. You speak Portuguese, yes, right? Yes, I learned that's that in amazing. high school. Yes, it was so easy to pick up because of my Spanish. Um, and so it's also kind of a unique language as well. And yeah. so living in Brazil and then having that passion. And my initial plan was that I was going to go to Santa Clara University. I was going, because I wanted to get out of New Mexico. But after living abroad, I wanted to be in New Mexico and just be able to go abroad uh, and off and uh. on. So... When I um, went to UNM, University of New Mexico, I focused on Latin American studies, Portuguese, and Spanish. And it's kind of a random undergraduate degree to get. You know, it's like it was a double major and a minor. And I thought, well, what am I going to do with this? And so at our graduation, um, Univision came out and a few other people came out to interview us. And they said, what do you want to do with this degree? It's a very random degree. (laughs) And I said, I want to work for Univision. And sure enough, that was my first job out of college with my undergraduate degree. So cool. I worked for Univision at the station in Albuquerque, New Mexico, FCC Compliance and Regulations. And my boss was actually out of Los Angeles, Univision Corporate. And he became executive producer of a game show. And so he was so funny. He said, you know, I love working with you. If you want to move to Los Angeles, I'll hire you in a heartbeat. And I said, OK, how soon can I move? Okay. And so I moved to Los Angeles, and um, I started off as being a production assistant because I was so new to production. And I was able to really move up quickly to the point that I was able to shadow on um, Wheel of Fortune and a few other shows That's to so learn cool. how to run a contestant department, how to run an audience department. There's so much that goes into a game show. Right. And we were recording. Um, it's called Trato hecho, so it's Let's Make a Deal in Spanish. So Monty Hall came out to the show to help us kind of un- understand like what is the setting to look like. You know, what are the different challenges? What are the different activities that we're going? To do so. It was such a neat experience to yeah. have. I mean, straight out of you know college, and not being from LA either. And so learning the intricacies of like how to set up a stage, how to recruit for talent, and what you look for in an audience member and a contestant. So we did that for a, a couple seasons, and then at that point, I started back back at Univision Corporate. And I missed being face to face with people. Yeah. I missed you know shooting three shows a day and having that intense experience. A lot and of adrenaline. I a, would lot of adrenaline <laughs> a lot of adrenaline. A lot of chaos. Yeah. You know, we thought we um, shot three shows a day, um, four days a week. Oh my god! And so it was a lot. That makes me tired. It just was tired, about but <laughs> it was so much fun. I mean, you just like you ended your day just exhausted, but it was so worth it. Yeah. And when I went to corporate, I just didn't enjoy it. And so I started looking for other jobs. And so I um, applied here in Houston um, at Amigos as an alum because Aww. I, again, that impacted my life so much. And they had an opening for director of partnerships with them. And so that's how I moved to Houston in 2006. Um, so I was with Amigos for a couple of years. And then I got into uh, the... Brazilian consulate. Um, Since I speak Portuguese fluently, they're opening a new trade department, international trade. And so I was the only non-Brazilian to work at the consulate here in Houston. Yeah, so that was kind of of an exciting thing for me. And um, of course, working with corporations and helping them understand how to open a business in Brazil. What kind of um, visa do you need? I met a lot of oil and gas representatives. Sure. So after my stint at um, the Brazilian consulate, I went to work for KBR, um, so Kellogg-Brandon Root, and mm-hmm. I worked on an Angolan-Brazilian project, and I was able to travel to Angola, which was really neat because, you know, I mean, I never envisioned myself going to Angola, yeah. and it was really, um, our clients were incredible, and so I was able to travel there. So I was at KBR, and then I went on to Petrobras, um, Brazilian oil company, worked in procurement, and then I went to Maersk Oil and also worked in an Angolan Brazilian project. So it's just that's kinda of like been my, my history. Yeah. But my biggest passion has always been animal welfare. Um
0: which like Feels like it just comes out it of just, left field. It just does, <laughs> right? But it but seems it's just like there. it. It seems
1: <laughs> like it, but it's been there the whole time. Yeah. So growing up in Albuquerque, um, actually a little bit north of Albuquerque in Bernalillo, we had a few animals that were always dumped in our neighborhood, Ugh. and they were always not in the best condition. You know, they had been shot or poisoned or something. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, seeing that was really impactful for me. And we at the time had one family dog, Coco, who we adopted from the shelter. And so just knowing how much we loved that dog, like she was such a part of our family and just knowing that the animals that were suffering around us. Mm-hmm. It made me just really kind of want to do more to help the animals that were around. Yeah. So So was like middle school, high school. I became really interested in, in animal welfare in general. And I actually wanted to become a veterinarian for the longest time. Didn't we all? I know. We I did. went through that phase. Yeah, I think we all. I like, think all of us that love animals <laughs> think it's like a, a thing that they want to do, yeah. you know. But then the reality hits in where I shadowed a country vet, and yeah. it was just it was too much for me emotionally. Oh, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's not just seeing the positive side every single day. It's like oh, you're looking at people who are having to make heart heart wrenching like decisions to like euthanize their pet, yeah. or perhaps they're just doing it because it's an inconvenience to right. their lifestyle. So right. it kind of depends. But it was just very impactful in a not so positive way for me mm-hmm. and so I mean I, I shadowed surgery I did all of that but then I decided that was not really what I wanted to do right and so as far as animal welfare really the biggest thing is living abroad I saw a lot of animals that were really suffering and mm-hmm. it was you know a third world country whatever that might be so it's different resources mm-hmm. and So I wanted to do more also when I was abroad. So it was hard. I remember in Costa Rica, I brought home a puppy. My host mom was like, what are you doing? You know, and I was like, well, I got to find it a home. And we found it a home. But it's one of those things where I could only do a couple of things here and there to help. I couldn't make a big impact, you know, not living there like 100 percent of the time. And so fast forwarding to many trips to Brazil. You know, we had family pets. Like I said, growing up, we had dogs who lived to be, you know, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And, um, when I moved to Houston, I, we took a trip to Brazil. I think it was in, I don't know, um, December of that year. I don't remember the year, the, the month exactly, but we found a mama dog. She had some puppies. And so my former partner's family adopted the mom and, um, the idea was to get her spayed and then have, you know, that puppies adopted out, yeah. but this is in Brazil and it's kind of in a more rural area. Well, they didn't tell me that they didn't get her spayed. And so she ended up having two litters. Oh, no. And nobody told me because oh, they knew no. I wasn't going to like it. And so <laughs> we were going back the following year. And um, my former well, partner said, you know, I have to tell you something because, oh, you know, you're going to see, you're going to see this. He's like, um, she had, Pachito is the name of the dog. She had two litters of puppies. The family, My family didn't get her spayed. And even though, like, we had, you know, talked about the importance, we had a vet all lined up. They're like, you know, they think it's, it's cruel to do that to oh. her. So they don't want to do that. And they're oh afraid no. of what's going to happen. And so I said, you know what? I said, how many puppies were there? And he's like, well, the first one had eight, had eight in the litter. The second one had 10. Oh. This oh. is a little street dog, right? Oh and I'm like, this, how does she have so many puppies? <laughs> and so it was just, it was tough to hear that. But I also yeah. knew that I couldn't do anything at that point. And so I said, well, how many puppies are left from this litter? And he said, three. And I said, okay, well, just have them hold on to them until we go for Christmas. And we'll figure something out. So we flew down to Brazil, and um, while we were there, we had her spade. Thank goodness. Yes, <laughs> we had it done while we were there. It's like no excuses anymore. And so there were three puppies remaining, and I remember like when I just, I saw them for the first time. They were outdoors, you know, mm-hmm. they were in a little area, and this little brown gold puppy, and I just knew he was mine forever, no. right? And he, he had um, his belly was full of worms, like he was. So we named him Buddha because he had a big Buddha belly, <laughs> and then there were two girls, and we named um, Flora and Nena. And then, you know, the idea was to bring all three of them back with us. Now that mama was spayed. Sure. Um, bring all three of them back with us. And I was going to keep Buddha and then get the girls off, you know, spayed and everything else and then adopt them out. Well, that didn't happen. Oops. Fast forward to now. They're almost 16 years old. Amazing. Yes. And they're going to be 16 in October. And oh. it has been a struggle because, I mean, they have had so many different um, you know, behavioral issues and other things going on, but yeah. I wouldn't change it for the world because oh. one of them was deemed as unadoptable with the rescue we tried to put her through. She's an amazing dog today. Yeah. You know, So it's one of those things where I didn't want to give up on her. And I know that it seems crazy to bring three animals from Brazil, knowing we have so many stray animals here in Houston, so many animals can be adopted locally. But for me, it was that one time that I could make an impact and it was not easy to get them back from brazil oh, we sure. had to go through ministry of agriculture we had to fly them from brazil to miami hire a customs broker and then we had to fly out to miami it was just it was a lot Totally complicated yes it was very complicated yeah. but at the end of the day like i said i mean i wouldn't change it because i love them so much and baby. they've been my biggest inspiration okay. and so that's kind of where this all came about where living in houston bringing them here as puppies, and then seeing stray animals all throughout the city. I'm like, where are these dogs coming from? I don't understand, <laughs> you know. They, like, come out, literally come out of the woodwork. They really do. And in Albuquerque, again, like, we'd be dumped from, like, um, some of the neighboring areas. But here it's like, I, no matter where I'm going, I find a stray animal. Mm-hmm. So I lived in Montrose when I first moved here, the Heights, and now I'm in Spring Branch. But there's always dogs. I mean, even, like, yesterday I saw, you know, a dog on my way um, to, to a business meeting And so I started, you know, stopping to try to help. But the thing is when you have three dogs at home that are reactive and have behavior issues, they can't bring every dog home, right? Yeah. But I did my best. (laughs) So I said, No, how can I try to like make an impact here knowing that I'm limited at home because of what I have at home with my dogs? So I started doing independent rescuing, and I got involved with Friends for Life Mm -hmm. because they would help me at least get the animals to do their adoption program. Um, A lot of times I had to foster them myself, but it wasn't normally too long of fostering. And then I got involved with RPM, Rescued Pets Movement, Mm -hmm. because it's short-term fostering. And those are animals that are off the euthanasia list that are truly code red, right? Right. And they're also highly adoptable. And so it's shocking to me that these animals that are perfect, I mean, they have... Unlike my dogs, they don't have behavior (laughs) issues, you know, they're nice, they have all these different things. And they would have been put to sleep, euthanized otherwise. And so I normally would foster mama dogs um, with newborn puppies. Or just newborn puppies or young yeah. puppies because that's what I could handle at my home because they'd be in their own bedroom. Right. I would rotate my dogs and, you know, that the fosters throughout the house. Mm-hmm. So with RPM alone, I've fostered about 200 and some dogs and some cats too, but the cats I can't really do as easily with my with my dogs. <laughs> right. that's, that's taking lives bit, in hands. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. But, you know, it's one of those things where it is it is tough, you know, to yeah. all the cleanup and everything else you have to do. But at the end of the day, you are saving lives one life at a time. and. Okay. People say, well, I don't want to foster. It's going to be too sad to say goodbye. It is sad to say goodbye. But at the same time, it may be more heartbreaking to know that you didn't do something and the animal ended up being euthanized and didn't have that opportunity to have that family because they go off and they're loved by families. Like one of my fosters, like she travels on her family's boat on their plane. I mean, all over the place. Excuse it's me. like you go from forgotten to forever Oh my gosh. and how incredible that is. That's right? amazing. So that's a really long intro to how I got to where I'm at today. <laughs> no,
0: but it, it's such a, that's why I wanted to talk about it because everybody comes to animal welfare from a completely different like route and yours is so unique, but I feel like you got really great perspectives on the the entire world and the situation of animal welfare everywhere. And it also gives you a kind of interesting perspective on Houston's animal welfare, which sometimes, you know, we, we say sometimes looks like a third world country Mm -hmm. here. And, and I think it's important to acknowledge that we have a lot of work to do. Um, and again, I am Lisa with Houston Pet Set. This is Conversations for the Animals, and we're talking with Angelita Sampaio with Emancipet. So now I want to talk about Emancipet and, yes. and how you got to Emancipet and what it is, because, you know, I'm sure anyone in the rescue community, if they haven't already directly worked with y'all or referred people to you, they're going to want to after right. they hear this. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about what Emancipet is, what you do, what the organization does. Okay.
1: So um, I came to Emancipet because I was always spending my, my free time, if you will, fostering, rescuing, supporting, going to um, some of the community spay and neuter free events. And I heard about Emancipet coming to Houston and it seems so unique to me mm-hmm. um, in the sense that Emancipet's from Austin, um, 23 years old. And so started in 1999 and wait a minute, 1999
0: was 23 years ago. What did I say? No, that's, I just had a, a yes. moment of panic that that's how
1: long ago nineteen ninety-nine. Yes. All right, cool, Oh i like, wait, 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 what did I say? No, 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 you were right. <laughs> yes, I, just, I mean, made me feel some of us Ill. were graduating from high school at uh-huh. the time. So, um, you know, just a long time ago, moving a long time on. ago. <laughs> but it's been a while, yeah. right? And so having that deep-rooted history in Austin and then moving to, um, they moved to Houston, we should say, but Matt's been moved to Houston mm-hmm. about seven years ago. And the way that started was, um, it was kind of a, a a combination of Unity for a Solution, which is a nonprofit that brings together numerous rescue groups and entities that want to solve the issue of overpopulation in Houston. Yep. So, Unity for a Solution, which was um, largely started by um, Gloria's Antenna with Barrio Dogs, um, Kelly Mann, who was with um, I think Forgotten Dogs of the Fifth Ward, mm-hmm. and then a, a few other people. And um, so, as Unity for a Solution, those and then those groups, and um, also with Councilmember Robert Gallegos. Mm-hmm. And seeing what um, Amazfit did in, Houston, in Austin, and I'm willing to kind of repeat that here in Houston, where our mission is to make veterinary care affordable and accessible for everybody. And so not having to turn anybody away and not having to have that be a barrier to mm-hmm. someone having access to vet care.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: um, in the sense that, you know, basically it's veterinary care for everybody. And that's one thing that cutting down those barriers to access to care is huge. Yeah. And because many people don't even, you know, know about the benefits of spaying and neutering or the, right. that really you know, it's as far as like what DHPP is or parvo, like having, how how important is to have vaccines, but also having them boosted every once in a while and what it prevents. And so really, it's about access, accessibility to vet care, but also to information. Yeah. And so when I heard about emancipate, I thought that's so neat, because when you come from a background of seeing the ugly side of rescue, seeing animals suffering, and many times, you know, it's because Someone perhaps has abused them, mm-hmm. you know, and neglected them, if you would say, but also some of the people just don't know, you know, that they have mm-hmm. other options. And so kind of seeing the ugly side of like what you'd see in humanity. But then with Emancipate, you see the opposite. You see people being empowered, um, under you know, creating new um, bridges between access to care and then people understanding the importance of spay, neuter, vaccines, mm-hmm. et cetera. And so you see the positive side. And in Emancipet, it's all spay and neuter services and wellness services right. and heartworm treatment here in Houston. In Austin, they do a little bit more as far as special surgeries. But not having to see the euthanasia part, too, is big. It's you know, very inspiring. For, it is. Yeah. And so for me, it's like I started following Emancipet's activities. And then, you know, again, it's like I had my jobs that I was challenged with and I enjoyed the travel, but it, my heart wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And so when they were hiring for the vice president role, I, th- I said, you know what, I would love to work for this organization. And that's how I came um, to join the team about three and a half years ago. And so what we do is what I was saying a second ago is, you know, we had different clinics throughout Houston. How many are you up to now? Now we're up to three. Whoop, whoop. Yes. And so seven years ago started the first um, when a goes into a new community it's in um, it's in a mobile unit basically. Right, right. It's a goose gooseneck trailer. And it pretty much is a mobile, huge um, spay, and neuter, and wellness clinic. And it's not mobile, though. I mean, you kind of... Use you this, park it. Yeah, you park it. Yeah, you park it. <laughs> and it's really big. And so when it started seven years ago, it was at the Ripley House um, and off of Navigation. Mm-hmm. And that was, again, because of a lot with Gallegos and Barrio Dogs and Unity. And so... It was parked there for a while to be able to kind of grow attention and understanding of the services. One component that I think is really neat that we have here in Houston is a community outreach person, community outreach um, coordinator, and that's Stephanie Plata. Shout out to Stephanie. Stephanie's amazing. And anybody who knows her loves Stephanie. Yeah. And so what her role was to really just kind of go door to door and talking to people. We want to make sure that we are very respectful of our all of our clients Mm -hmm. and our community. We never want to push our agenda because, again, our agenda is, again, to make it accessible to everybody. But Mm -hmm. if someone does not want to spare or neuter their animal today, perhaps they're going to want to do that a year from now. Right. But being non-judgmental being very open and treating everybody with compassion and dignity. So we make sure that's a huge pillar of who we are and like, yes, because again, you don't want to shun somebody and you may not understand why they're making that decision, but talking to those families or having that open communication, you're going to understand what persons, what people are thinking and have that dialogue. So with Stephanie, a lot of it's just like, Hey, this is who we are. This is what we do. And then they might ask questions. they may not. And then, you know, I know she's just had families in the past that wanted to just do the wellness initially, you know, the shots. And then, maybe after a year or two decided they wanted to spare and neuter their pet. And mm-hmm. so again, knowing that we're there for them, whether it be today or five years down the road and we're always going to open them, I mean, open with open arms, you know, basically coming, moving forward. Yeah. And so that's a big thing. What we do in Emancipet is we have the spay and neuter component. At each of our clinics, depending on our doctor's capacity, we will spay and neuter maybe 25 to 35 dogs and cats per day. Per day. That's per amazing. Day at each clinic. so you, oh, again, wow. At each clinic, yes. Yeah. So imagine, I mean, again, so our clinics are open various days of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some days that you're hitting that target. You know, yeah. as almost 100 animals that you're spaying and neutering throughout all the different clinics oh, every that's single day. so many. I love that's that. That's a lot. And the demand is really high. Right. So I mean, the it was kind of um, scaling up little by little until Hurricane Harvey hit. Hurricane Harvey, and we were able to do a partnership in which we were able to offer free services for Mm -hmm. an extended period of time. And so that's when we really took off in the community because people were impacted, obviously, by the hurricane. And people still are today, you know, trying to kind of recover in, in many ways. And so... The fact that that was kind of the first time where there was a lot of um, focus on people and their pets and not being separated from their pets, right? Because people were going into shelters and they couldn't bring their animals with them. And so how do you make that decision, right? Mm -hmm. And some people were just risking their own lives because they did not want to let their animals stay behind. And that's a big part of what we do is, again, like seeing the bond and the relationship between people and their pets. And some people think, well, if you can't afford the vet, you shouldn't have the pet. But the truth is, like, we don't know where the animals come from, you know. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it's not our place to judge. But many of these animals are stray animals that these families have taken in Mm -hmm. and that they're loving and that they're doing the best that they can for their pet. And so it's a very optimistic perspective Mm -hmm. in that we believe people are good and will do what's best for their pets when given the opportunity to do so. And so, again, coming from the side of rescue where you don't see that. And if you spend a day at the clinic, you're going to see that, like. client and client after client. And, you know, last year we had about 60,000 visits at um, our two clinics at the time. Wow. We opened our third one this year in March and um, that's a lot. And that's, it's, it's, it's quite a, a, you know, a large amount of animals. And most of those animals came more than once a year. Mm -hmm. And so they came like, you know, for their initial checkup and they came back for their boosters, whatever that might be. And so just knowing that we have that connection to the community, and we're in areas that are underserved, so areas that do not have veterinary access for the most part. And knowing that someone, you know, maybe shopping across the street at Fiesta and they see our sign, they're like, well, what's pet?" they pop over, we have that conversation and then they become a client of ours moving forward.
0: And that's, I will tell you, that's one of the th- reasons that Houston Pet Set loves working with Pet so much is that, that non-judgmental aspect yes. that, you know, we firmly believe that if an animal has a home, if there is any way to keep it in that home, that's right. the ideal outcome. Right. And if the barrier is the cost of veterinary care, let's eliminate that barrier. Because like you said, they they took that animal in out of Mm -hmm. the goodness of their hearts, whatever the case may have been leading up to it. And that animal is loved. That's a better outcome for them than taking them away or shunning them for whatever reason, because they can't afford vet care. So that's one of the reasons I think our partnership with our organizations works so well Mm -hmm. is that why add to the stray or unadopted population when all we have to do is Take down this barrier. Right. And veterinary care is expensive. It is. And it's not anybody's fault. It's expensive. Right. And that's not because anybody's gouging. Nobody is, any vet listening to this is like, I am not making a profit. Right. Thank you <laughs> I very much. Like, no kidding. It's just really expensive. But I, I know that it's, it's comforting to have Emancipet as an option, even for other veterinarians to say, mm-hmm. look, I appreciate that you're here and you want care and we can't necessarily offer it to you At a price you can afford, but here's a group that can. Right. And that's, you know, that's, it makes it more of a community rather than sort of a competitive. It does. And that's, that's huge because we can't address this problem unless we all work together.
1: No, completely. And that's the thing. I mean, a spay and neuter at some clinics, and again, this is nothing against full service at all, but it can be, you know, $400. Yeah. And ours is less than 90. And so, again, it's. It may not seem like a lot to somebody, but when you're trying to figure out, like, how you're going to feed yourself and your family and yeah. pay the bills, like, that's a lot of money. Keep the lights on. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, I know last year, it's with, with COVID especially, we saw just a huge increase in, oh, yeah. in clients. And there were a lot of new clients. And we do not income qualify. And so I know for me, like, having three senior dogs right now, mm-hmm. I mean, they are there's a lot that goes into that. And one <laughs> yeah. of them's in hospice care. One oh, of them has, to, has like, someone that comes to the house. And so it's, like, all these things where... A lot of money is being put into that, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that I'm able to do that, but not everybody's able to do that, right? right? And so even the most basic care can be very costly. And so looking at, again, that access to care, and so partnering with Houston Pets, that's incredible because I think it's so important for us to look at the strengths that we each have as an organization. Mm-hmm. I think it's a multi-pronged approach to a wicked problem, right? Yeah. So it's not going to be easy. There have been improvements. We have so much work to do moving forward. <gasps> I mean, we can all we. agree on that, right? <laughs> yeah. And so people are, you know, have transport programs like mm-hmm. Houston Pet Set, which is amazing. And like rescued Pets Movement also, because these are animals that are on, you know, code red right now on that list. And if we don't pull them and get them into foster homes and transport it out, they will be they will be euthanized. Mm-hmm. Right. And so at the same time, looking at making spay and neuter accessible for everybody. Yeah. And then also wellness. Right. Because we see so many cases and I'm sure you guys do, too, of, um, you know, Parvo and distemper yeah. and. And so so many animals are dying because of that and suffering because of that. And not only the animals, but their people as mm-hmm. well. Those families that they that love them have brought those animals into their home, have created that bond, and all of a sudden this animal is sick and they may not understand why. Right. And so, and also knowing that that spreads is so contagious. And so it's, it's a community health problem. It's a mental health problem because, Absolutely. again, people are suffering when they're losing these pets. Um, and so I think it's just so important for us to all look at our strengths and come together. And so whether it be... Transport programs, um, adoption programs, fostering programs, spay and neuter programs, because it's going to take all of us together to make that happen.
0: Yeah, and and it's important also to point out for anyone who doesn't know, emancipet, you're a nonprofit. We are. I mean, and so the fact that as a nonprofit, you're able to provide these services for the incredible low price point is is huge, and it shows that this is again, it's not about making a profit. It's about helping the community, supporting the community where they're at, and I think it's for for us. It's heartening to see every niche being filled. You know, mm-hmm. on on our last podcast, we talked to Pearland Parvo Recovery Center, and they focus just on parvovirus and and helping rescues support that. And Emancipet is a veterinary nonprofit, and mm-hmm. there are very few of those in the area. But knowing that 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 is an option for people, it's just all these little holes get plugged yep. and eventually we will stop the overflow or the Correct. sinking ship or whatever the metaphor you want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, using our strengths, because this is, you know, we, we look outside, you know, on the way here, you see a stray dog, you go home and there was a cat that no mm-hmm. longer, you know, didn't, didn't make it across the street and it can feel really, really insurmountable, mm-hmm. insurmountable, insurmountable, is that the word? Um, and Until you look at the people who are actually on the ground doing the work, right? Which is what Emancipet is for sure doing. Um, and you are a nonprofit. I want you to talk about the event you have coming up because
1: I think it is the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna be there. So yes, we are a nonprofit. <laughs> And the way that works is, you know, 80% of our revenue comes from our services offered. Mm-hmm. So as you were saying, it's, everything is low cost. What does that mean? So our office visit is $20 for, um, for an office visit. and But because of that, we have to make sure that our volume is high, right? right. And so that's why in the summertime, for example, our Wayside Clinic, which is the original clinic, will have 100 plus visits per day. Ooh. And by visits, I mean people coming in for wellness checks, um, maybe dewormer, nail trims, um, for medication refills. That's a lot. That's a lot. And, um, and so we keep it, again, high volume. And then that's why I also spay and neuter is high volume. And people also wonder, well, well if it's so high volume, is it safe? It's completely oh, yeah. safe, right? So we, and, our, and our veterinarians are not volunteers. We get questions like, well, if you're a nonprofit, are they, are they volunteers? They right. are not volunteers at all. These are doctors who either had their own private practice for a while, and now they want to come into the nonprofit sector, mm-hmm. um, or just who love our mission more than anything. Yeah. Like our mission speaks to so many people, and so that's why you know again, it's a it's of staff and it's paid staff, paid veterinarians. Um, but again, keeping it in high volume so that we can have eighty percent from revenue, mm-hmm. and then we do about twenty percent from fundraising, right. and we're relatively kind of ramping up in Houston because we've kind of um, focused more on national fundraising. Mm-hmm. Up, to, up until this year, really. But this year we had our first gala. It was so fun. Yes. And we honored <laughs> Houston Petsit because we just, I mean, it, you were saying about as far, like our partnership and our collaboration is so key. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to be able to take that time to celebrate our wins mm-hmm. because, again, there are challenges throughout the year that we all face. But seeing those wins and seeing the collaboration and seeing that teamwork and partnership is mean to t- truly celebrate, right? Yeah. And so we have a few things throughout the year. Um, we are, Our next event is in October, October 30th. And it is called Polling for Pets. It started two years back in Austin. And then last year was our first year doing it in Houston. And it is literally different teams that we have as part of this. And we are pulling fire trucks. A city of Houston fire truck. I love it. 30 feet to raise money for animals. Yeah. And this is something that the Special Olympics apparently has done in the past quite a bit. But um, last year we had, I think, six or seven teams. This year we to at least double that. Mm-hmm. And teams of eight to 10 people. And the teams come in with their costumes. They have their own team name, a lot of team spirit. And they come in, and again, like you're doing the polls. And so the fire truck obviously is a neutral. Um, <laughs> Put and the yes, break uh, on yes, really yes to make a yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then you're pulling it. And so, again, there's different, there's different awards for the fastest pull, mm-hmm. best team spirit, best fundraiser, best team costume. So that's going to be on October 30th at St. Arnold's. That they awesome. were so great last year about hosting us. And it's not just that part of the event. We also have numerous animal um, pet-friendly vendors. We have some rescue groups that come out with adoptable pets. Ooh. We have... Um, It's called a pet tarot card reader. No. Yes, I mean it's for entertainment purposes only. Okay, sure. But it's amazing. (laughs) It's so much fun. I mean, you have your, you know, your pet there, and she will tell you all about your pet. You know, have to bring my dog. Yes, I mean, I think so. I I want to know. (laughs) It's so much fun, and she's great. Um, and so we just do different things throughout that time. We also have a pet costume contest because it is around Halloween. Sure. And so we have that. And oh last gosh. year it was really cute. So it's just a good time for, you know, families to come out. And it is outdoors. And so there's an area for kids to hang out and play too. And even though it's in a brewery. And it was so much fun.
0: And the funds raised go to sort of subsidizing the cost of veterinary care yes, for those who exactly. can't afford it.
1: Exactly. Yep. That's but wonderful. Yes. and we And we need to focus more on that too. Because, mm-hmm. again, it's like we can only – Keep our prices low as long as we can meet that number, right? right. And we have had to increase throughout the years here and there, you know, but of course, especially with COVID, with our costs going up yeah. so high. The supplies, just to ship it them so from much. Where you get and it. then knowing that some of the things are, you know, some like the masks and gloves, those are the things that were needed across the world, yeah. you know, for COVID. And so the, the procurement was more difficult, and the mm-hmm. price went up, and so it was tough for us to have to increase our prices. But it's that, or you know, not be able to offer our services. Right, and so that's where that all kind of came in. But it's oh, so good; gr- yeah. I, I it warms my heart. I love because outside
0: of the animal welfare world, I also worked in the veterinary field, and I I love the passion and the dedication that these folks have for not only the pets but for the people who yes. love them, and mm-hmm. that. That is exemplified. I know I've met some of your team and they are so phenomenal they and are. just good people. And you mm-hmm. can see it in the way that they interact with their clients and and anybody showing up with their pets at a door store is going to get treated with dignity and with respect yes. and their animals are going to walk away feeling good right. and safe and healthy. And right. that's, that is huge in our Houston community. So it is. thank your team yeah. on our, on behalf of us for everything that you do and, and for also for your hard work. Cause thank you are you. out in the community. I don't, you are one of the busiest people I think I've ever seen. Like I'm there every event, every <laughs> fundraiser, fun stuff, right.
1: <laughs> good stuff. Like, <laughs> yes, obviously right. you're having a
0: great time, but, right. but you know, it's, it's hardworking folks like you and your team that are going to help us. Tackle this ridiculous problem of pet overpopulation and homelessness, and and that for for that, thank you, and also thank you for joining
1: us. Oh yes, it's been wonderful. I mean, it's like having just you know, it's just coffee, yeah, with with a good friend. I mean, you know, we we love working with you all, and it's just. Knowing that we can all make this positive impact together speaks volumes.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us thank on you. Conversations for the Animals. This has been Angelita with Emancipet. Um We'll probably have to do this again just because it was so I fun. I think we should. Yes. It was. Yes. Yeah. Thank you all Next for joining us. Next time we'll bring a
1: puppy or two. Okay.
0: Maybe. <laughs> I know I know our producer, Keegan, would enjoy that. He'll be Will yes. it'll,
1: it'll be a disaster of
0: a production. <laughs> it'll but be we'll fun. It'll fun. be fun. Awesome. Well, thank you, Angelita. <laughs> thank you so much, Lisa. And thank everyone for tuning in. Thank you. Bye.